Hey, welcome to another Coaching You Basketball podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir. What a podcast we have today. Uh, Shaka Smart, the head coach of the University of Texas. He's going to take us through his journey uh, from being an assistant uh, for coaches like Oliver Purnell, uh, Keith Damrod, Billy Donovan, to how he got his job at VCU, what it was like to take over for a great coach like Anthony Grant, what it's like to follow someone like that, then going to the University of Texas and following Rick Barnes, who's been to the NCAA tournament 16 out of 17 years. The style of play, the havoc style that he developed at VCU, how that came about, how he developed as a coach, uh, talking a little bit about Nike's program called Villa 7, uh, his ideas of, you know, a, you know, a small coaching tree that has evolved with the people that have worked for him that have become head coaches, his thoughts on, on that. You know, the, I, I find him one of the most interesting and intelligent people in coaching, men or women. And I think you're going to find him to be a very special guy. Uh, let's listen to a couple of messages from our sponsors, and then we'll visit with Shaka Smart. Pass Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastScout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional sky reports customized for your team. Fast Model is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team and 85% of Division I college teams and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills for their online coaching community. For access... To these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Hey, let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market today. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and to provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind of basketball shooting industry that enables coaches and players to stay connected, design and upload training exercises that combine shooting, conditioning, and ball handling into one complete workout, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is without question the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. It's been the official shooting machine of Coaching You for the last two years. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to Dr. Dish basketball.com or follow them on Twitter at Dr. Dish B Ball. 
Our friends at Crossover want to help you coach smarter and win more games. They'll cut and tag your game film for you, giving you back interactive shot charts, searchable clips, and advanced statistics in just 12 hours. Stop wasting time in the film room doing all that tedious prep work. Simply log in and start getting powerful analysis straight from your video. Even if you think you already know what these guys are all about, I suggest you take another look. Their new insights, features, create hex spin charts and shooting efficiency reports for you and your opponents. Something you're not going to get with Huddle or anybody else. Get the boys and girls teams on board and you'll both save 10%. Add on football, volleyball, lacrosse, hockey or soccer and your savings go up from there. Sign up at www.crossover.com forward slash coaching you to receive one free game. That's crossover with a K dot com slash coaching you to get one free game. This is another coaching you basketball podcast with the coach Brendan Sir. Great, great guest today, my dear friend Shaka Smart. Shaka, good morning and how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Coach. You know, uh, back in 2008, when you went to the University of Florida with Billy Donovan, we got a chance to meet for the very first time. And uh, on all my visits up to Gainesville to meet with Billy, you and I always, always got a chance to spend time together. And one of the things that uh, that really impressed me uh, about yourself was, number one, uh, how bright you were, and number two... Uh, the questions you would ask were always off the charts, which is a sign of a very intelligent person. And I didn't have a lot of answers for you, but, you know, but I was impressed with your questions and, you know, but then as the year got on and, and you guys had a nice year, uh, all of a sudden I can remember I'm sitting in my home office in uh, Windermere, Florida. And all of a sudden he called me one morning and I, and he said, coach, should, should I uh, interview for the job at Virginia Commonwealth? And I'm like going, yeah why not yeah but I've only been with coach for one year what do you think and I said he would be the first one to encourage that I would think and then I I remember and so you did and I remember you called back and I said well do you have a shot at that job and you said yeah I think I'm going to get it and to me that was uh, that was amazing why don't you walk uh, we got tons of men's and women's uh, coaches at the high school college level but walk me through how you even got in a position at 31, I believe, years old at that point, going to be 32, uh, to be in a position to even be a candidate for a team, VCU, that was a great young basketball program. Well, it was it was an interesting experience for me because I came down to Florida from Clemson, where I worked for Oliver Purnell and had a great experience there with him. And Billy was... I guess all young coaches probably have that one coach that they almost idolize or, or, or look up to and say, Hey, that's the, that's the guy that I would love to kind of pattern, you know, myself after or learn from or be around. And that was Billy Donovan for me. So when I got to Florida, uh, I was, uh, you know, recently married. My, my wife and I have been married for, I guess, a couple of years. And we said, Hey, this is a place where we can be for six, eight years and really put down some roots, <laughs> uh, you know, help uh, Coach Donovan build the program back up. When we got there, uh, he was one year removed from that back-to-back national championship uh, group. 
Um, and, you know, we had Nick Calathis and Chandler Parsons, but those guys were young and, uh, you know, Billy was really in that mode of, of working to build it back, which he did. Um, uh, but then, as you mentioned, I got a call from Norwood Teague literally 10 months after getting the job at Florida. And I was fortunate I'd been able to develop a relationship with Norwood through a program called the Villa Seven, uh, consortium where they, bring in assistant coaches and they meet with administrators and do some professional development. Um, and actually that program no longer exists, but it was a really good event for young guys like me just to number one, learn and uh, take part in some professional development. But number two, uh, build some connections with administrators. You don't usually get that type of, um, you know, avenue to, to build those relationships. So when Norway called me, uh, he asked, uh, if I was interested in interviewing for the job. And uh, I really did have a lot of hesitation because, one, I just got there. And number two, uh, I think there's a big difference between being prepared uh, to become a head coach and being ready. Hmm. Uh, and, Great line. And so <laughs> uh, I, I did feel like I was prepared. You know, I'd, I'd worked for, for some really good head coaches, five uh, really good head coaches, and – I tried to really organize my thoughts, um, things that I had taken from them or learned from opponents or learned from folks like you that had a ton of experience that I'd had a chance to be around. Um, so I, I felt a decent level of preparation, but uh, there's a big difference, uh, you know, in terms of being ready to actually go and be the guy that's calling the timeouts and be the guy that's making the final decisions. And I really didn't know. So uh, I asked Billy about it, and um, you'll laugh at this. Uh, he, I, said, I said, what should I do? And he said, well, I'm not making a decision for you. He said, I fully support you if you want to go after that job. Uh, I'll be the first one to get on the phone with the athletic director, but I'm not deciding for you. I, I kind of, you know, as a young guy, I kind of wanted him to tell me what to do, and mm-hmm. I was going to do it. If he said, don't take the job, I was, then I wasn't going to mess with the job. If he that? said, go after it, then I was. I mean, I literally, I, I hung on his opinion that much. Um, so, he, but he, he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't make that decision. So I, th- after talking to you and a few other people, I decided to pursue the job. And it, it, like a lot of these things, it went fast. And all of a sudden, less than a week later, uh, I get offered a job and, and you'll love this. I, I, I talked to Billy and I said, I said, coach, um, I got offered the job. Uh, if you don't want me to go, I will not go. Um, just, you know, please give, give me your thoughts on this. And he said, he said, you should go. He said, uh, if you leave, I'm just going to get somebody better. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it, it was, it was great, but he was saying it in, in a, you know, only a way that Billy can, like yes. a supportive way, but also, uh, a busting of the chops a little bit. It's a little so. New York zinger, we call that. Yes, yeah. That is great. No, that, that that's the stuff behind the scenes. And so now, fast forward, uh, when you go up there, the coaches that you're replacing up there are one, Jeff Capel had you know started their run, but then Billy's other assistant, Anthony Grant, was the yep. head coach that you were now replacing who had done an incredible job there. And Anthony was now going to Alabama, I believe, right? Exactly. And, you know, I learned very, very quickly. And I, I know you gave me this advice. And 
some other really good coaches did uh, that I had to be myself. You know, I, I couldn't go up there and try to do things exactly the same way that Anthony had. Um, when I got up there, it, it, another kind of interesting story and, and something, you know, for, for anyone that's, you know, going to become a head coach to kind of think through that I hadn't thought through very much is you, you're going to have that introductory meeting with the players. So uh, I had flown up to Richmond and I actually, I, I, I hadn't uh, officially accepted the job because Norwood had said that he wanted me to meet the president before it was, you know, before it was final. Uh, when I got off the, the, the connecting flight, I got like 150 text messages, congratulations on the job. So that's how I found out for sure that it, that, you know, that I was going to be the coach there. <laughs> and they all wanted um, to be your assistant. Too. <laughs> yeah. So, so Norwood, uh, he grabs me and he says, okay, I'm going to take you to meet the players. He said, now here's the thing. You have to keep Larry Sanders. You have to. Uh, you know, people are trying to get him to transfer. Uh, some of the agents are trying to get to him to come out early. You have to keep him. That that is that is your job number one when you, when you get here. And as as you know, Coach, um, there was a great player named Eric Maynard that was graduating. Terrific player. Uh, so Anthony and, and Jeff Capel had done a, a, an unbelievable thing at, at the VCU level. They had put. You know, each of them had recruited one of those guys. They had put together a roster where that year before I was uh, – the, the year that I was coming in, um, you know, the year previous, Eric Maynard had been a senior and, and Larry Sanders had been a sophomore, and you got two first-round pick mm -hmm. NBA players <laughs> on a CAA team. Not bad. Uh, like so, never done before. So anyway, yeah. Norwood says, hey, you got to keep Larry. So I said, okay, I got you. <laughs> so he takes me in to the meeting. Uh, he introduces me to the team, and remember now I'm replacing Anthony Grant, six foot five, gorgeous, built muscles, built like a Greek god, <laughs> great looking guy, booming voice, uh, tremendous presence, and then there's me, you know. <laughs> and so uh, I introduced myself to the guys. I talked to him about how we were going to play. Uh, I talked to him about how you know I try to base. My coaching philosophy on relationships and spending time with them and I want to get to know them and their families and they were kind of looking at me like who is this guy uh, and I learned later that you know a lot of them were just upset like coaches like players can be you know when there's a coaching change yep. and you know they had been very close to Anthony and they they kind of were taking it out on me a little bit which was understandable and probably happens a lot but I made a mistake in that introductory meeting because of what Norwood said. Uh, I was about halfway through my talk, and I said, and I, I was talking about how we were going to play, and I, I turned to Larry Sanders. He was kind of sitting in the corner, and I said, and big fella, we're going to get you the ball. And I thought that was a you know, legitimate thing to say. You're trying to keep the guy. You want him to know, you know, we're going to play through you. We're going to get you the ball. Well, unbeknownst to me, I had completely lost three of the other players. Um, <laughs> who all wanted because, to shoot. <laughs> because I said that. One of them being Joey Rodriguez, who ended up uh, leading us to the Final Four right. uh, less than two years later, um, but who a lot of people don't know, actually transferred uh, that spring when I got to VCU. I remember. And then came back in the summer. 
Um, but I, I guess the lesson coming from that is really be careful in that introductory meeting because what you're saying to one guy could turn off some other guys. That that is a that is a great story. I remember when Kevin Neesman and I came in and met with your staff that summer, and we must have had a two-hour discussion about rules and about the rules that you make on a team as a coach. And I thought that was you know that's always fascinating. You know about you know discipline, how much, and you know what do we do? And I mean that can be a seminar in its own way. And but. Uh, I've just enjoyed talk about the great influences you've had in your career with uh, your, you know, from Bill Brown, who you played for at Kenyon to Keith Damrot, who's such a spectacular coach was at Akron for years, just went to Duquesne, uh, you know, Oliver Purnell, who's, you know, one, I thought one of the most underrated coaches that we've had in college basketball. And then of course, a legend in Billy Donovan. Talk about those guys. Cause I know that they're a big part of your life. Well, before I do, you mentioned you and, and, uh, and Kevin Eastman coming in. And I, I'm, one thing about me, I listen. So I, I still have those notes uh, from when you guys uh, kind of presented to our staff. And you mentioned rules. So the thing I remember most about that, and, and I think it was you and Kevin both yeah. kind of going back and forth talking about this, is you guys said, do not rule yourself out of a win. It's a great and line, isn't it? I thought that was a really, really good point because, you know, I'm a young coach uh, coming in and I'm saying, hey, here's going to be our standards and our values and we're going to hold true to these. And But the reality is, uh, I'll tell you another quick story. <laughs> we, you know, my second year, we end up going to the Final Four. But before that, we had had a really tough month of February. You remember we yes. went three and five. So we lost five out of eight games in the month of February, and they were all close games, and, and, and it was tough losses. But going three and five is not good, you know. So uh, we were in a, kind of in a tough place as a team, and the regular season ends, and the all-conference team comes out. And I made the mistake of telling our guys at practice who did and didn't make the all-conference team. I was trying to motivate them. But we had the banquet, the CAA banquet, uh, that night in Richmond, so just down the street from campus. And so I told the guys, and uh, of course they were there were some guys that were really upset that they didn't. You know, guys always feel like they should, you know, be first team if they're second team, or be on one of the teams if they're not. Sure. And so we had two players, Brandon Rozell and Ed Nixon. Um, both two out of our top six players, and they decide they're not going to the banquet. Um, and so when it's time to kind of show up at the arena to leave, to go down to the Marriott, to go to the banquet, they're not there. So we're at the banquet, and I'm, I'm just fuming. Like, how could these guys How could these guys skip this banquet? What a selfish act. What a bad thing to do. And my wife is sitting there, and she says, You've been around Maya. I mean, she, she's pretty <laughs> she's, cut and dry. She's she says, smarter well, than everyone in the Marriott that night put together. Yeah, <laughs> she says, "Well, they can't play. You know, they, they, there's no way. You, you got to kick them off the team." And so we're we're heading into the conference tournament, also in Richmond, and then you know we're hoping you know to be a postseason team. Um, and so she says, "You you you can't. You, you, it's <laughs> extremely disrespectful." They skipped the banquet. 
So the whole banquet, I'm not paying attention to anything. I'm just uh, just fuming over this thing and trying to figure out what I'm going to do. So ultimately, I decided, hey, these guys are seniors. Uh, you know, they were emotional. They were upset. I probably shouldn't have told them at that point. Should have waited. You know, waited for them to just hear it at the banquet. Uh, they, they did the wrong thing, but I'm not going to penalize them and, and, and let them end their career on a, just on a terrible note by not playing them. Well, those two guys were instrumental in us first making the NCAA tournament and then, you know, make going on a run to go to the final four. So that's a great example of what you guys <laughs> were talking about when you said, don't rule yourself out of a win. Chuck, uh, Chuck Daly but used you, to have a great line. He'd say, get past mad, <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But you talk. You talked about mentors. Um, I, I was lucky; just worked for some really good head coaches and some guys that uh, were not nice enough to spend some extra time with me on my own development. Uh, you talk. You mentioned Keith Dambrot. He's one I'd love to talk about because he's one of those mid-major uh, or coaches at a mid-major uh, mm-hmm. school. I don't think he's a mid-major coach. I think he's a high, high-level coach. Sure. Uh, but he's one of those guys that is so much better than everybody knows that hasn't played against him or coached against him. If, if you have, (laughs) you realize how good he is. Um, He's uh, I think he's as good of a, you know, meat and potatoes coach. So what I mean by that is just, just the basketball and the the, the teaching and the, the X's and O's of offense and defense and, and knowing where to put guys He's as, as, as good of, uh, of a meat and potatoes coach as I've been around or even at, as I've coached against. Uh, and he was really, really kind to me. My first day on the job at the University of Akron, he was an assistant coach at the time, ended up later being a head coach. He says at, at lunch, he says, come on, I want to take you to meet somebody. And so he takes me to this rec center gym in Akron. This is in uh, 2003. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so we're, we're, we're in this rec center gym standing on the court. There's nobody there because it's the middle of the day. Uh, you know, all the, the school-age kids are in school. And I could see through the glass doors a Hummer pulls up and, and, and parks, like, right right in front of the, the rec center. And uh, in walks LeBron James. And so I'm just kind of standing there in awe. I'm 26 years old. Uh, I'm just standing there, and you know Keith kind of taps me on the shoulder. He says, "Come on, we're gonna we're gonna work out LeBron." And so for the next two months, this was May. So for the next two months between that time and summer league, uh, NBA summer league, we a couple three times a week uh, would, would work out LeBron. I should say it was. Keith working out LeBron and me just kind of helping pass and rebound. I didn't, I didn't say a whole lot, but it was, it was just fun to be in the right place at the right time, uh, you know, getting a chance to be around him. So that just kind of tells you something about Keith because he didn't know me from Adam and to take me with him and include me in something like that. Uh, it really shows you how special he was. Was he Le- LeBron's high school coach at, uh, uh, yes. For, he yeah. Coached, right? He coached LeBron, um, his freshman and sophomore That's year at Mount Saint uh, at Saint Vincent Saint Mary, right uh, in, in Akron, and then his after his sophomore year, they had they had won back to back state championships. Um, Keith, who had been a head coach at the Division One level in his mid thirties, 
decided he wanted to go back to college, so he got an assistant job just down the street at the University of Akron. And then uh, after my first year there at Akron, he, he was named the head coach. Okay. Tell, give me something about uh, Oliver Purnell, who I've always admired. Tell me, what did you learn from him? Well, he's a phenomenal, uh, I, I guess I would say, CEO of, of a basketball mm-hmm. program. And uh, what's most impressive about him and what he's done in coaching is he's taken over program after program that is kind of fallen upon hard times and turned them into winners and, and turned them into uh, not just uh, a flash in the pan, but a, a sustainable program that's able to maintain success over time. And I, I think that that's it, it says a lot about him because. You know, there's a lot of coaches that can, you know, have success with, you know, maybe the guys that they inherit or the guys in the first year or two. Uh, you know, when, for instance, when we went to the Final Four at VCU, those were mostly Anthony Grant's guys. So that would be an example of sure. that. But Oliver, uh, you know, did a great job of kind of building from scratch. And uh, the thing that I remember most about him uh, in terms of his genius is that he would really take things in and evaluate the situation and spend time with guys. And you would kind of wait for, okay, what's he going to do? You know, what, what move is he going to make? And he would always push the right buttons at the right times. He just had this great feel for not overreacting, um, for, for not acting too soon and he would seem like he had this real tolerance um, for, you know, guys maybe not being all the way in. But then, boom, you know, he, he, would, he would act and act boldly, you know, when he thought the time was right. And he was always right on time with that stuff. I thought that that was a really good trait uh, for a coach to have. Tremendous, tremendous. How about now you only got a year with Billy, but I know he was hugely influential over you and still is. He is. Yeah, he's been probably more influential over me uh, in coaching than than anyone uh, in the profession just because, like I told you when I got down there, I mean, the guy was – he was like my idol. Uh, when I was one year out of college, 23 years old, I, you know, I did what a lot of young coaches do. I, I went to work camps, and uh, I was I was fortunate. I worked camp at University of Dayton, uh, where I would later work for Oliver Purnell. I went to work camp at University of Florida, uh, where Billy was coming off uh, a trip to the national championship game uh, against Michigan State in the year 2000. Yeah. And so I got a chance to meet him at 23 years old, uh, and, you know, when you work camp, sometimes you meet the head coach for like 10 seconds. <laughs> you know, there's not really a whole lot of interaction. But I just remember really respecting and, and looking up to him uh, at that point moving forward. So when I went down there to work for him, uh, as you remember, it was a terrific staff. Larry Shiat was on the staff. Uh, Rob Lanier, who's a phenomenal yeah. coach, Great coach. Uh, was on the staff. And then, you know, I was kind of the young guy. Yeah. And so I, I just really enjoyed getting a chance to pick Billy's brain and be around him 
uh, and witness more than anything the uh, the work that he does on the mental and emotional part of the game with players and not just with players with recruits too uh, I, I never forget a phone call we were recruiting Patrick Young uh, who as you know went on to a great career at Florida um, but Patrick at this time I think was going into his junior year and so we're recruiting him and you know coach was really 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 good in recruiting when he was locked in um, when he, when he wasn't so interested, it was like, it was like anything else. You've been around Billy. Yeah. Like he, he's one of those guys that, that goes by the philosophy. You can't do, do two things at once, but if you could get him locked in, he was the best. So, uh, he was on the phone with Patrick and Patrick, we were trying to get Patrick young committed. Um, but it was early. I mean, it was, it, it was not the time usually when most guys commit, but Billy felt like, Hey, here's a guy from Jacksonville, Florida, you know, uh, I've been the coach of Florida for a long time. We've had a lot of success. Uh, you know, this is the type of guy, you know, we, we, we should be able to get this guy committed early. So Patrick made the mistake of saying on the phone call that his dream school was North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> and so Billy says, Billy goes on this 10-minute diatribe about why Patrick should go to North Carolina. I mean, you know how Billy is. He loves reverse psychology. So he has the kid all twisted up and, and, and almost in tears because Billy says, hey, listen, here's what I'm going to do for you right now. I'm going to call up Roy Williams right now, and I'm going to get him on the phone. I'm going to explain to him that you want to go to North Carolina and that he needs to offer you a scholarship right now and that you're willing to commit right now, today. And so Patrick's like, no, that's not what I'm saying, coach. Uh, I'm not saying I'm going there. I'm just saying, you know, like a lot of kids when he was like maybe eight, nine years old, he probably <laughs> liked North Carolina, you know, who didn't. So uh, the, the, the funny part about it is we get off the phone and right before we get off the phone, the kid basically commits to Florida. <laughs> and the mom calls me. Uh, you know, Patrick had this has this terrific mom named Benita Young, very very strong, intelligent woman. And so she calls me about ten minutes later, and she said, "What did you guys do to my son?" <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just it was a master class uh, for me, put on by Billy in just uh, coaching and teaching the the mental, psychological, emotional parts of the game. Yeah, you know, he he was a guy that for a dozen to 15 years I would work with on the side as a consultant slash his personal coach. And and we would have discussions till three in the morning some night, and then at the end I would say, is he coaching me or am I coaching him? I mean, it was, he, he was just brilliant. And, and, you know, and, and I think that's a sign of a great relationship where you both get a ton out of it, but he is one of those people that is just so giving, so sharing and is frankly brilliant. And no one that I'd rather get in a basketball discussion with about things is him because he is so strong in his beliefs and convictions. Uh, when you went to VCU, you did something that I thought was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to use the word, and and I, from a branding marketing standpoint, brilliant. You created the term, the word havoc, H A V O C. 
I have never used that word and everything, but I thought there was nothing that fit your style of play better than that word. How did that all come from? Where did that all derive from? Well, it, it really it started with the press conference uh, okay. when when uh, I got the job. I was really nervous uh, for for the press conference, and it's another thing that that uh, yeah, I wasn't really ready for. You were prepared, uh, so, but you weren't ready. <laughs> uh, so I, I was making some notes and uh, just kind of preparing uh, my remarks, and and again. The press conference is, is is always harder when you're following a highly successful coach. Good point. And so I, I wanted to get a chance to adequately express my excitement about the job because I felt like that was something that that I could I could definitely do. And I also wanted to express um, in the right words how we were going to play, even though. I didn't know exactly how we were going to play. I, mean, I had a sense uh, from my years as an assistant coach of how I would want to play. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's all about the players. Sure. So you got to get in there and roll up your sleeves and figure out who you have and figure out their mindset and, and all those sorts of things. So uh, I used the word and, and I used the, the, the phrase uh, in the press conference. I said, we're going to wreak havoc on our opponents. And, uh, you know, I kind of continued on from there. And so, uh, we were in a meeting probably two, three, four weeks later, and we were talking about recruiting. We were talking about our team. We were talking about style of play. And we had a friend of mine, Dave Tellup, uh, who at the time was a, was a, high school talent evaluator yep. uh, for, for ESPN, um, but now, you know, works in the front office with the Spurs. And so we were talking about uh, branding and how we could set ourselves apart that, from, you know, the masses and, and just that, that world of, of non, at that time, non-BCS schools. Um, and so I, I, I said, well, I use this word in the press conference, havoc, um, uh, and, and Dave was like, well, that's it. You know, that's, that, that's your brand right there. And, and uh, so he likes to take credit for it, uh, <laughs> uh, which he definitely deserves some of the credit. Mm-hmm. So we just, we just kind of used that uh, at that point moving forward. And, and it started off pretty, pretty, you know, uh, on a pretty small basis of just, Hey, we would use it in practice and, and, and encourage guys like this is what we're going to do. Um, then we started to use it a little bit in recruiting. Um, we really didn't play the way that we truly wanted to play until my third year at VCU. And, and, and our second year is the one that, that, that we, when we went to the final four, right. um, but we really didn't, in my, in my, I believe it was my third, fourth and fifth year we led the nation in steals right. uh, in, in those years. So those are the years where we completely went all in with this style of play. Now, when you were teaching uh, this style of play, when you're going into a program, and these are, you know, we have tons of uh, women coaches as well as men uh, listening to this podcast, uh, Shaka. When you're teaching the, pre- you know, as our friend uh, Mike Rhodes uh 
talks about there's two different things there's pressing and there's trapping <laughs> uh, which i thought was a, a great term you know when you're teaching that style of play um how do you practice it well there's different philosophies on that i i'm a believer in or how did you i'm sorry better better how do you how did you teach it i think it it, it starts with guarding the basketball mm-hmm. so uh, the the absolute foundational uh, starting point to me is playing full court one on one, and that's something that, as you know, back in the day, that we that's just what we used to do. I mean, we used to play full court one on one. I mean, we used to do it for fun, but uh, now that's it's not as common that guys are just going to do right. that on their own. But I believe if you can guard the basketball. Uh, you know, 94 feet away from the basket and make a guy turn coming up the floor and take him to places where he might not want to go. That's the foundational element of any type of man to man or matchup press. Uh, now we also use a zone press called the diamond, which is pretty, pretty common. Uh, now that one's different because you're never really one on one on the ball. Um, but most of the presses that people use out there are either man to man or, you know, they match up when the ball gets in bounds. You know, one of the things, uh, and we've talked about this over the years is that, uh, you know, having, uh, you know, I was, I've been blessed to have worked for amazing coaches, uh, you know, from playing in high school and coaching in the NBA with UB Brown to, uh, you know, then working uh, with Chuck Daly uh, at three different teams in the NBA. And the thing about Chuck, uh, who was, you know, he was a brilliant offensive strategist, tremendous defensive coach, but even a better people coach. But when we would go and play Patino when he was in New York and and, and then, uh, and then, and then, you know, when we were in Detroit, Rick was in New York. And then when we went to Orlando, Rick was in Boston. And, and all of a sudden, when we would go and play Rick, this incredible offensive genius in Chuck Daly, and I've got three, basically, I've got three or four NBA. I mean, I've got Hall of Fame players. I got two Hall of Fame guards in Dumars and Isaiah. And Chuck was in panic mode leading up to that game against Patino. We would not run an offensive set in practice if we had any preparation time. All we would work on is press offense for days. And yep. and and it was and it was a great learning experience that here's one of the best coaches ever to coach in our game. And this guy knew that you could get totally embarrassed because we we never saw it in the NBA. And that was a convincing point to me that A, you can do it in the NBA, and B, when you're in college with kids that have far less skill level, uh, you know, I, I think it's an incredible style of play. And as a coach who thinks I can X and O a little bit, I almost have no control when you're I'm playing against you when you're pressing slash trapping me. So, you know, so Rick had all those reasons why he would what was what were some of the reasons that you would have that style of play uh and and every league you play in whether it's the big eight, big 12 now uh you know whether it's uh the Atlantic 10 or the CAA or the SEC when you're in Florida why why should coaches consider trapping pressing well i think coaches just like anything else you have to fit 
how you play and what you do around who you have. And so for us at, at VCU, uh, the, the, the building block more than anything was the mindset. So havoc for our guys when, when we got to the point where it was entrenched there, it was certainly we pressed and we played fast and we were aggressive. But before that, it was a philosophy of this is who we are an identity. Uh, when guys came into practice, they knew what we were about, what we were going to do. They took pride in it. Uh, so that, that was as important as anything. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think there's, there's a variety of reasons why you press. If, if you decide to do that, uh, you mentioned it's difficult to prepare for. It, it can maybe take people out of their normal rhythm of practicing their man to man sets against, you, you know, limited pressure. Uh, it's one of those things where, hopefully you can get teams doing things that they don't normally do. Right. Uh, I remember we played one terrific team with uh, a coach that is as good as any. Um, And the coach uh, came up with this, this idea that uh, they weren't going to have their point guard bring the ball up the floor because we had a really good defender guarding him. So they were going to have their three man. Uh, bring the ball up the floor. Um, and so we ended up making an adjustment and, and trapping a three-man in the first two possessions, uh, or t- two of the th- first three possessions of the game, we turned them over and, and scored. And and j- But just that mentality of making teams do something a little bit different than they're used to doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and at the college level, I mean, you typically have maybe a couple practices to prepare. Yeah. Uh, so that that's one reason to do it. I think the depth uh, part of it is is big. If you if you do have a team where you're comfortable playing nine, ten, even more guys, um, then it's a way to play to get those guys flying around and and you know maybe get those guys bought into uh, a feeling of of hey, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to play extremely hard for you know four minutes, and then another guy's going to come in. Uh, now I will say the higher the level you go, uh, uh, the harder it is to create that level of buy-in. You know, we sure. we had uh, at VCU what we used to refer to as Burger King All Americans. Um, <laughs> we played Memphis one time. I think they had five McDonald's All Americans <laughs> on their team, and uh, we were showing uh, the edit tape of their personnel. And one of our guys raised their hands and he said. They might have McDonald's all Americans, but we got Burger King <laughs> all Americans. But great. just that 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 kind of gives you an idea of the the they they kind of took pride and they turned that or flipped that around. Like, okay, we're going to show them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's easier to get those type of guys just to say, "Hey, I'm going to go all out," you know, diving on the floor uh, ninety feet away from the basket. Uh, not that it's impossible uh, with, with guys at the highest level. I think it just you really got to be intentional in terms of the way that you're describing it and teaching it and, and talking about the advantages of it. Great, great point. When let's go when you were uh, took your VCU team to the Final Four, you had probably a just to get in the tournament and get into that first four. Uh, I think play in game against USC. Talk about and then maybe as good a march uh, through that tournament with wins over really impressive basketball programs 
can you recap that a little bit for us and stuff? Yeah, it was a lot of fun, Coach. We uh, <laughs> we were on pins and needles on Selection Sunday because we didn't know sure. if we were going to make the tournament and uh, actually chose not to have our team watch the Selection Show together because uh, – and you remember that group of yep. older guys, Joey and <laughs> – some of those guys that they, <laughs> I just I was really worried that if we didn't get selected, oh, um, yep, you know, kind of the way those guys would react. And I, to be honest, I didn't want our young guys. We had five freshmen at the time. I didn't want them around any type of negative <laughs> reaction. So I brought those guys in my office and we watched it together. Um, and the freshmen, I told the older guys, the freshmen, hey, yeah. Um, you guys watch this, you know, in the dorm or wherever you're going to want to watch it. We will get together afterward. You know, we'll figure out, you know, we figured if we didn't make it, we'd be in the NIT. Sure. Uh, so we'd be playing somewhere. So we got selected and there was just a, a euphoria of uh, the opportunity. And that's why our perspective is so important because, you know, in other years, you know, maybe you won your conference tournament or, or you knew you were going to be an at-large bid. And, you know, you, you, you hear your name called and, you know, it's great. But this was a whole different level of like, wow, we made it. And it, it was almost like a new life and, and there's nothing to lose. And that really carried us through. Uh, as you mentioned, we played in the first four in, in Dayton. And the first NCAA tournament game, a lot of times, particularly for teams that, that maybe weren't in it the year before, can be choppy and, and, you know, some nerves and those sorts of things. And that game was like that, but we really settled in in the second half and played well. And that ended up being very beneficial for us because it, it, it served as a, almost a, a jump start for us. We were, you know, we were one and oh in the NCAA tournament. So, uh, whereas everyone else was just getting started with games on Thursday and Friday, we had already won a game and we were able to, Use that as a springboard. Yeah, that was just an incredible run, and I and I, and I was just enjoying the heck out of watching each one of those. You know, you uh, you've developed, and I know you're very proud of. Uh, you know, one of the things that as a head coach that you know that's now been charged to you is to develop uh, your assistance. And I know you take great pride in it. And you've now had at least, uh, five that come to my mind, uh, that have gone on from you to become head coaches at the collegiate ranks, you know, from, uh, Jamie and Christian, uh, I, I counted Billy Courtney, right. At, at Cornell, uh, to Mike Jones, to Will Wade. And then to, of course, to our friend, Mike Rhodes, uh, yeah, how satisfying is that to you? Well, it's, it's actually, it's one of those things it's, you don't necessarily take pride in it because that that would uh, imply that you had you know, something, yeah, right, right. That, that you did it, but yeah. it, 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 that you had a big role to play in it. It's it's more something that just it really makes you smile and makes you happy right. because um, you know everyone gets in this business um, because they love to coach and they love being around the game and they love being around the guys. Um, but I would say ninety some percent of guys. When they're an assistant coach, they want something more. You know, they they want to have their own program. They want an opportunity to be a head coach and, and to see what they can do. And as you and I know, those opportunities are so scarce. Um, but to see those guys be able to, 
uh, realize their dreams and not just get head coaching jobs. Those guys have all been successful. Yeah. They've, they've all won. And uh, it, it's it's interesting because uh, sometimes head coaches get credit for their coaching tree or guys that end up becoming head coaches, but it also kind of brings to mind the question of the chicken or the egg because <laughs> <laughs> they also, those guys were really, really good assistants. And they're a big part of the success that we had, you know, whether it was Final Four run or other really good teams. Uh, those guys were a huge part of it. And, and as you and I talked about bef- before we started the podcast, I don't know if there's anything more important than having an unbelievable staff that's completely aligned uh, around the same vision. <laughs> I, I think it's one of the most important things uh, because – but it's it's no different than your family. Everyone in the family being on board. Uh, if you're running a uh, forget basketball, if you're running a business, and if you have your sales staff all doing different things, and you have the people that are doing customer service, they're doing something else that's not at all aligned to you as the CEO or owner of that business. I think you know you have no chance of being successful. Or if you're leading our country, uh, so to speak, we won't go there. Uh, but uh, but uh, it, let's go uh, to Villa Seven. You talked about it before, and I had the pleasure, uh, you know, to speak to uh, coaches there and stuff. And I really believed in the program, and I thought it was really something that was extraordinary for the development. Uh, an acceleration of coaches talk about that program and how unfortunate right now it is that we're in a little bit of a hiatus from it. Yeah. I think there's a couple things that went into uh, it, it, it being no more. I, I could sure. definitely see it being, being started back up at, at some point. Uh, you know, if, if that's something that, that Nike wanted to do, cause they, they were really instrumental with the, the, you know the financial backing and sure. providing a venue most of the years uh, it was held in on their campus in, in outside of Portland Oregon but it was a unique opportunity <clears throat> because we we live and, and work in a in a profession where there's there's certainly not enough time and attention paid to professional development uh, and, and by professional development I mean primarily, uh, getting better at, at, at mm-hmm. what we do as coaches. Uh, and I think a, a big part of, the, of our challenge is there's so much to do in the moment, you know, whether it's recruiting or working with your current guys <clears throat> or, um, you know, whether it's practice, whether it's preparing for whatever's next, there's always more to do. So there's very few times during the year when you have – a good chunk of time to stop and say, okay, I'm going to put everything down and focus on growing as a coach and getting better at my craft. Uh, so Villa 7 was was great because uh, for a couple of days as an assistant coach, you could really focus on, you know, where are some areas I could get better. Uh, you could listen to great speakers like yourself, uh, head coaches. Uh, they brought in guys that were – at the top of the coaching ranks from other sports. Uh, I remember when I was in Villa 7 listening to Mac Brown mm-hmm. uh, talk about running his program and just had some great, great stuff. 
so it, it was a terrific program from that standpoint. And then, as I mentioned earlier, just the opportunity to get to know administrators, because I think that's one of the real challenges as an assistant coach or as a young coach in, in this profession is you, you, you want to eventually have a chance to be a successful head coach. Um, but you have to meet people to do that. And there's very few avenues that, that allow you to do that. I, I think it's a great point. I sure hope that, uh, they do that because I think, uh, that is the one glaring weakness that I see, um, in college uh, basketball, not not football. Football does a pretty darn good job developing uh, because of the way their sport season is crafted. Uh, They get to really work with NFL teams on uh, developing their staff uh, because of all the visits that the NFL staff comes to them for to look at their players. Uh, They get to share. Uh, But the college game, because of our 12-month cycle that we seem to have, uh, we're, we're missing that opportunity, and I think it's something that uh, we really need to do. Shaka, talk about uh, you're now in one of the premier conferences in the country, and the coaching in that conference is outstanding. The players are terrific. Uh, talk about the adjustment, A, of going to a new conference, and about the competition and the coaching that you have to go against. Yeah, it's a terrific league, and, and it's, it's unique in that we only have 10 teams, so yep. you play everyone twice, and so you really get to know every other team and every other style and, 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 and coaching staff. Um, and it, it just is one of those leagues where um, there, there truly <laughs> are no nights off, uh, and there's some coaches in this league that have really put together programs that they've they've uh, made established and uh, they have a culture of how they do things both on and off the court they have a way of playing that is uh, very very successful that their guys are bought into uh, so for me uh, coming in here a couple of years ago uh, obviously it was about trying to learn about the league and then to try to put together a team, a roster um, of guys that over time we could build something uh, similar to what I'm talking about these other programs have, which is a culture of our own and a way of playing of our own that guys could really sink their teeth into and learn over time. The challenge, as you know, at, at our level is the best players you're not going to have for very long. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, uh, my strength coach always used to say to me, hey, stop trying to microwave them. You know, we got to slow cook these guys. <laughs> you always use that uh, that phrase, and um, it, it, which I agree with. Uh, you know, it, it's about development over time. But, you know, you, you also have to understand different players are in different circumstances. And, and some guys, as I mentioned, the best guys, their mentality is, is certainly – uh, you know, to be there for maybe a year or certainly whatever amount of time goes into them moving on to the NBA, which is, is the same mentality that I would have if I was in their shoes. Uh, but I'm excited about, you know, for us, we're going into our third season. We obviously had a really challenging second year. I feel like we have a situation where we've been able to stabilize our roster. We're still going to be pretty young next year but I think we'll be a little bit more experienced than we were this past year and I do believe if our returning players are willing 
to internalize the experiences that they've had uh, here, I, I really think we can take a, a significant jump because there'll be a lot better understanding of what goes into winning than our, our group had this past year. You know, one of the things that I, you know, from, <clears throat> you know, our championship teams with the Pistons, uh, you know, and reflecting upon those, uh, especially now you know, we're right into the NBA finals as we're doing this, recording this, is uh, we won because we had, we had some really good players, but we had phenomenal leadership, internal leadership. You know, sure, I had a great head coach in Chuck Daly, but we had six leaders on the team, internal leaders, and that, and that really was the difference maker at that level. And I think that happens in every pro team. Uh, the problem I see at college teams, and that's why Cal Perry is amazing at the job he has done, is that you know he's got you know so many new kids each year, and in college, you're not as an 18 year old, you're not ready to become a leader. And it's usually those kids that when they become juniors and seniors, they really become the leaders of your team, whether it be at VCU, uh, you know, or any other place or Florida when Billy won, when those kids were in their third year, Noah and Horford and them. And so uh, I think that's one of the problems that we have shocking in college is that, you know, we have freshmen as our best players who think they're ready to go in one year, but they're not ready to lead, uh, uh, anyone else and that makes it difficult to have a great team is your thoughts well i think that uh you certainly <laughs> uh as much as you can want to create a dynamic where you have some upperclassmen sure. that have a level of uh i guess perspective that they didn't have when they were freshmen or even sophomores uh, that are willing to share their experiences and their perspective with the with the younger guys. Now, the thing that's interesting about it, particularly at this you know this level of high major basketball, is those guys that are around as juniors and seniors, they may not be as talented as those freshmen uh, or, or sophomores, but particularly freshmen. So. Uh, are you secure enough uh, in yourself as a person to understand that this kid might be better than me, but uh, I can play a strong role in helping to lead him and lead this group to be successful? And if you think back to when you were in college or when any of us sure. were, you know, 21 years old, that's still <laughs> – it's still an age where it's tough to have that security. But I, I really think as you look around, you look at teams that were successful this past year, look at the Final Four, uh, that's what they had. You know, they had some upper-class leadership that was, you know, just very, you know, secure in, in their own thinking and in their, in their own being. And in the case of those teams, those upperclassmen were really, really talented too. Sure. You know, North Carolina kind of had the best of all worlds where they had literally, I think, some McDonald's All-Americans that, that uh, were in their third year, which is typically unheard of. Yeah. Um, so when you combine that talent and experience and leadership, there you go. Yeah, and that's kind of, you know, Billy had, you know, three lottery picks, but they were juniors. And so when they said, I think we're going to see a change um, in the NBA uh, this year. 
I think we're going to, you know, I work with the Players Association and I, and I've been eight, nine years now as a consultant. And I, I think we're going to see a change where uh, we, we get rid of the one and done. And, uh, you know, and uh, so every AAU coach will be upset. Uh, and, and I think we're going to see uh, something similar to baseball. I think we're going to see two years if they come to school that, you know, they, they can't come into the NBA for two years. But I think we also might see something modified where they certain uh, that you can come from high school, but you don't have to put your name in. Um, well, that's the thing, Coach. It's so hard about our game Yeah, is – I guess, I mean, I don't know much about other sports, but I, I guess our game is more subjective. Uh, in other words, there's no question that LeBron Jameses of the world they're easy. Sh- yeah, should they're- be able to go from high school to the NBA. Sure. Uh, you know, to make a guy like that go to college, it just doesn't make any sense. Ben Simmons for should never have been in college, uh, you know. Uh, uh, but, uh, but, uh, how many guys over the years have, uh, I'll never forget Keith and I. I told you Keith coached LeBron in high school. We were at a high school gym a couple of years after after LeBron, you know, yeah. came out of high school. And the coach said to us, he had a really good player. I think he was like a top 30 player in the country. And he said to us, yeah, I think we're going to do the LeBron thing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Keith, Keith and I looked at each other like, well, that's not really your choice. You know, you don't get to decide to yeah. do that. Yeah. And and that's what I, I, I'm advocating for is that we don't allow the kids to put their name in because I've told the PA, the Players Association, that we'll have 250 high school kids a year put their name in. Uh, is that basically we only have 60 players that are selected in the draft. It's not like baseball where you have 40 rounds. And that uh, you will be drafted without putting your name in. Uh, but you better if you're an NBA team and you draft a guy, you got to be prepared to take him and deal with a 17, 18, 19 year old that might not be ready. And that's our biggest complaint in the past is we haven't won to deal with kids that weren't ready. So I think you'll only see a handful of guys that would be picked, not like mm-hmm. 20 guys. You know, I think you might see possibly four, possibly three, four, max five that would be drafted. There's not going to be guys that I think are going to say, okay, we'll pick all these guys in the second round. I don't think that would happen. Um, and no. And so, but you better have done your research. You better. Have, so it's going to be an interesting time in the next year to two. We will, we'll, I think we'll hopefully move to a better spot than we are right now. Well, I, I just hope that uh, we can continue to look for ways to provide these young guys with accurate information. I, I just think the more they know about what their true value is at that current time, uh, according to the people that actually have draft right. picks, not someone running a website, not well, someone yeah. that is, you know, uh, an in-between guy, uh, the actual 30 teams, the more that they can know that real information, I think that's very empowering. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I mean, the players that are, you know, frankly, the last two years with me at LSU, they they had accurate information, and you know Ben knew he was going to go one, but the other players that we had here knew they weren't going to be drafted. Yeah, <laughs> and some put their and three of them, two or two of them put their name in anyway, and told them you're not going to be drafted, and you put your name in anyway because they're listening to someone else. 
you know, and I thought, I know you love words and I know you love quotes and I, and I love the one our friend Lou Holtz used recently, uh, that there's 422,000 words in the English language, but the most important one is choice. Yes. <laughs> and that, and that's what we have to do. Shaka, uh, it's always incredible when we visit, uh, you know, you have had a terrific influence on me and uh, my ability to learn and teach. And uh, I am one of your very, very biggest fans. And no one hopes that you do better than I do. Uh, I'm so excited for you and your third year there uh, and what you're building in Austin at that great university, uh, you know, and it is a special, special place. Uh, so happy that you, Maya, and uh, are so happy down there and stuff and uh, look forward to getting together with you real shortly coach thanks for having me on good luck with everything okay appreciate it, my friend <laughs>